Amen. All right. Thank you, Kelly and Heather, for the music. Welcome to Communitas Church. We are a church that exists to love God and to love people and build disciples here in the Brainerd Lakes area and around the world. We have worshiped through just by gathering. So thank you for being here. We know that when it is 90 degrees outside, a lake is a great option. A mine pit is a great option. In the basement on the concrete in the air conditioning is a great option. And we appreciate that you have seen the importance of coming together um, and exemplifying what it is to be the body of Christ um, by, by coming together to serve one another. And so we worship in that way. We've worshipped through singing. We've worshipped through uh, the giving of our tithes and our offerings. We'll worship through sitting under the proclamation of God's word. Um, before we do that, we're going to worship through the practice of communion. And we celebrate open communion here. So what that means is that uh, if regardless of whether you are a member of Communitas Church or not, as long as you are a follower of Jesus, you are welcome at the table. And so the way that we do this is, is we've got elements set out to your left and to your right. And so we're gonna, I'm going to speak for a little bit. We're going to have some time of, of quiet meditation and uh, where you can just kind of reflect on a few things. And then we're going to come up, take those elements, and we'll come back to the seat and, and partake of the meal together. Now, I, I keep saying this, this meal, this supper, I mean, it, it hardly seems like an appetizer, Right? It's not very big. But what it is, is it's this symbol of what Jesus is, is calling us into. It's this, we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven and this kind of paradoxical, this upside down, this backward kingdom where Jesus took all the, what the world and even what some of the religious institutions had valued and just says, yeah, you got it a little bit backward. You put the cart before the horse. And so, and as, we, as we'll see t- today later in the, in the sermon, that he's not bringing in a new system. It's not a new school, but it's a new fellowship. It's a new way of being. And so he says, instead of having you know, the, the last time he's with his friends going through a checklist of here's what you should do, here's the do's and don'ts, make sure you do this thing, and oh, by the way, don't forget to you know, lock the door, turn off the lights, whatever. He shares a meal with them. He says, this is the way that you're to live. The old way is gone. The new way is here. And he's called that in each and every one of us to say the new way is to be gone. The new way is to be here. And so we're going to take a few moments. I just want you to reflect on, on who is Jesus? What is he calling you to do in your life? And as you look back through your, this past week and you think forward to the coming week, what, what does it look like to follow Jesus closely? And I, I, I know that we're, we're all in here on, on various, um, coming from different, various spiritual backgrounds. And so maybe this is a time where you can just kind of reflect on, you know, who is Jesus to me? What might he have for me? What, through his spirit, what is, what God might be, what, what might God be doing in my life? And for some of us, this is going to be a time of, of repentance where we're going, to have to, we're going to have to just own some of what we've done. And I encourage you to sit in that. That's fine. That's a good place. 
we're going to take a few moments to just consider that. Who is Jesus? What has He done for us? What should I do as a result of that? And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us. Give us the ability to hear and the ability to follow. And as you're ready, come on up, grab the elements, come back to your seat. I'll read some words from Scripture and we'll all partake of the meal together. So Lord, thank you for your death on the cross. And thank you for your spirit that guides us, helps us to discern our path both personally and collectively. And so Lord, we pray for for us as a church that we would exemplify what it means to follow you. That the presence of your kingdom would be seen here today and as we go out into the world throughout the week. And Lord, speak to our hearts. Convict us of the things that we have done that we should not have done or the things that we didn't do that we should have. Help us to see your face, to understand you more, to know you greater, and to follow you more closely. So it's Memorial Day. It's a day that we remember things. Remember those who have served and who have died. And so, in some ways, the supper that Jesus and his followers were having at the beginning of the evening was one of remembrance. Remembering what God had done, taking them out of Egypt and the way that God had provided for them and, and sheltered them and brought them out into the wilderness and protected them and, and oversaw them and, and made a covenant with them. Except by the end of the meal, it was totally different. Jesus invites them into this new covenant. So as they're eating, he takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, Take, eat, this is my body. And like the meals that we'll probably have over the next day or two, this one lingered on. Later in the evening, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for the new way of living that you've called us into, the transformation of of our inner being. We pray, Lord, that by following you, we would continue to grow, to know you more. We thank you that you invite us to this table. Amen. I'm going to pass this bucket around so we can collect these cups. Lonnie is going to come up and read our words of Scripture today, and then we will dismiss the kids and go from there. I'll be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 12. And this is the word of God. Now when he had heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali... 
by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and to those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about him went out into all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, (laughs) paralytics, and he healed them. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee to Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. When he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Thank you, Lonnie. Okay, kids, thanks for hanging in here with us. It's at this point. You can head on, follow Scott on over this way. He's got a great time planned out for you. Lord, we thank you for these kids. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would bear fruit in our lives and in theirs as well, that we would grow in our our holiness, that we might be able to help these kids grow in holiness. Amen. So you may have heard me talk about uh, my friend Bob, the guy that I used to work for out in Colorado. He owned a ranch. And um, I mean, like, he was just this... Just this cool dude, right? Like, uh, flew helicopters in Vietnam. He was an army ranger. I mean, he was just like just this man's man. And so, and he you know, he'd stand up. He's got the cowboy boots on, the Wranglers, this big old Pendleton coat, this nice like twenty five X Stetson hat. I'm like, I didn't know there were enough beavers to make a twenty five X hat, but apparently there were. And so, and, and he'd get up and he'd give this speech at the beginning of the year, and he'd you know, and he kind of kind of 
cast, okay, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do this, whatever else. And then you look at us and you go, who owns this ranch? Who owns this ranch? You know, and you're looking at this guy, I mean, like the cigarette, the whole deal, and you're just like, uh, like the ob- answer's obvious, right? Like you do, Bob, you own this ranch. Like you, you own this ranch. I work for you. Your name is on my paycheck. You own this ranch. And he goes, wrong. You own this ranch. You own this ranch. You own this ranch. And what he did is he gave it all back to us. And all of a sudden, it, and it changed the way that we, that we interacted both with, with the guests, with the, with the ranch property itself, and, and with one another. Because right? ownership changes things, doesn't it? When you own something, when you worked for it, when, you, when you've taken possession of that, that changes things. And uh, yeah, really, I really, I'm indebted to Bob greatly. I learned a lot from him. And uh, there are probably things that I will do and say here that are a direct result from um, my time with him. But anyway, let's talk about Matthew. So uh, where we are, where, where Lonnie, what Lonnie read about is, so Matthew has spent the, the previous couple chapters just pounding this notion that Jesus is the Messiah. He's just trying to make it as as clear as he can to the people that Jesus is the Messiah that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. He is here. He has come. Repent. Follow him. And then he enters into this time of teaching. Uh, uh, We'll get into it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest uh, discourse, that the uh, combined discourse that we have of of Jesus's and, um, and it's kind of the beginning of, the te- of, of teaching what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So I want you to, to put yourself in that position again. Of you know, So you're, you're in a room, you're, you're listening to somebody read the Gospel of Matthew. Maybe you're, you're fortunate enough that you're close enough that you can look over someone's shoulder and read along with them. And what would you be thinking at this point? You're hearing about this this guy. So you'd heard of John. You'd maybe been out to to the Jordan to his baptisms. You'd heard about his arrest, and all of a sudden you hear about this guy come from from Galilee. Like that was this that, that cultural melting pot, that area of darkness. What good can come from Galilee? It was like way up there. I mean, it was cool. you might as well have been to Syria by then. Like they were so influenced by, by Roman politics and Grecian ways. And What? Galilee? Really? I mean, I can understand if something from Jerusalem were to shed some light, bear some fruit, but Galilee? But it says that the people in darkness have seen a great light, so I mean, if it can take root in Galilee, I suppose it can take root anywhere. He seems to be continuing this notion of, of John, this repent, the kingdom is at hand, and to come and to, and to follow him. And he speaks with such authority. The other rabbis, they, they cite their source, but he just says it as though he is the source. 
And then he's, he gathers up some people and he's, he's following. He's, he's picked them. I mean, most of the time the, the disciples pick the rabbi, don't they? But here the, the rabbi chooses us, chooses his disciples, calls them to follow him. And then like any good master, he, he's, he's training them up. And what's this about? Is he's healing people? Every affliction, every disease, all wherever he's going? Maybe, maybe Matthew has it right. And now put yourself in, in Jesus' shoes here. You've been traveling around for about a year. Your cousin John gets imprisoned. And you're looking around, and there's this vast multitude of people following you. And and for good reason, right? I mean, you're you're speaking a message of hope in an area that's been politically, civically, and socially oppressed. And, and to a group of people that have kind of been lost and forgotten by their own religious affiliation. But then also, I mean, he's going out healing people. Like, this is, this is good news. That would attract a crowd, wouldn't it? We can see that, it, that it's easy. So now, now if you're Jesus... And you understand that that blessing is important. And in that culture, if you were monetarily wealthy, if you had high social standing, if you had good political affiliations, you were considered blessed. Much like our own culture today, much like every culture throughout the history of the world. So what might you do if you're Jesus to convey to the people what your new kingdom, what the kingdom that you've invited people into since the dawning of time, this this one that you're instituting, what might you do to capture their attention? Would you start a school? Institute a new system? No, Jesus institutes a fellowship. He gathers these disciples and he says, here are the people that are blessed. That's what beatitude is a Greek word for for blessed. So blessed are those who, blessed are those who, blessed are those who. So it was a really big deal. So I've always loved the way that Matthew communicates this and just kind of says like, hey, here it is. This isn't moral code that we're talking about. This is a new way of living, a new way of being. And so I want to just run through them real quick and I want to, I want to talk about it a little bit and, uh, and throw out a few questions some, that we can reflect on. And there's a number of different ways to break it all down, but there's, there's four things that kind of pop out and that it reveals and, and what Jesus is doing and trying to, to conjure up in the disciples that he's looking to have in his kingdom. And it reveals our attitude toward ourselves toward our sin and sin both personally and collectively societally uh, toward God and then also toward people in general and if you've um, kind of the neat thing about the Beatitudes is they're a fairly accepted piece of literature if you I mean whether like if, you know, ethics consultants use this whether regardless of their political or their uh, religious affiliation but I've always found that there's some of it that's a little bit tricky to me. Like I've never really understood like this opening phrase. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I always thought that was interesting. 
what does it mean to be the poor in spirit? I mean, if we're following the Lord, shouldn't we be rich in spirit? What is this, this poor in spirit? So it's always confusing. But, it, but this, this poor in spirit this kind of gets at who are we? Are you poor in spirit? Do you recognize the fact that without Christ that you are spiritually bankrupt? Do you recognize that it is, it is the Lord's work through the Holy Spirit in your life that fills you and gives you meaning and allows you to live life to the full? And so when we start to understand that, we start to move in that direction of repentance where we're able to follow Jesus and adhere to that, that message. This is blessed are those who mourn. I was like, well, that, that makes sense. You know, yeah, like, you know, they'll be comforted. That's a, that's a nice message. I appreciate that. But there's something more here. Jesus is saying, but what are you mourning? And the next couple little beatitudes, he's going to get at our sin. He says, do you, now that you, you recognize your need for me, your dependence on me, do you, will you mourn? Will you grieve? your sin, and the condition of sin in the world. And in our evangelical circles, it can be really easy for us to just focus on our own personal sin. You know, we go, oh yeah, that was, that was my bad. You know, at, at best, we'll, we'll admit that. You know, oh yeah, at, at best, my bad. But what would it look like if we started to get into recognizing and mourning the communal sins? The sins in which we participate as a community, both communitas, Brainerd, and just at, at, at whatever level. And we begin to grieve that. And then the meek. So are we self-controlled? Do we show a genuine hum humility toward others? And I love this line, for they shall inherit the earth. Right there in verse 5. So just, it's always kind of stuck out to me. So inherit, right? Like they get to inherit it. Sometimes we hear about people that want to enter. Are we invited to, to come into the kingdom of God? And here Jesus is saying, you get to inherit it. Now, what does it look like to inherit something? Anybody ever, ever inherited something? You know, what happens? If, let's think about it as a house. Like I've entered into a house. I've gone in, I've hung out. You know, Megan and I bought a house. But if you inherit a house, suddenly you own it. And like with my friend Bob, it, it changes something when you own something, right? So what Jesus is trying to do here is, is, is much like we do with our own children, right? When they're young, you know, you, you give them the do's and the don'ts. Right, the very simple, the hey, like you just need to do these things so that you stay alive. Don't run out in the street. Don't touch the hot things. Do eat your vegetables. Do go to bed on time. Basics. And Jesus is seen throughout history, you know, because remember, Israel's history is our history. We can look at Israel as a people, and that reflects what we do as a people and also as individuals. And Jesus sees the way that man like those Ten Commandments. I mean, those are broken before they came off the mountain, right? Like Moses is walking down, they all break. Like brilliant metaphor for how this is going to go. And so Jesus, is, he recognizes that, yeah, there's do's and don'ts, but then at some point in time, 
when you're growing, and, and I don't know if any of you have, have, have ever, if you've ever been a boss or managed people, you, you kind of start them on this do and this don't. But eventually you want them to catch a vision for, for what you want to do organizationally. And so Jesus is trying to get the people to say, hey, look, we've been doing this do and don't, do and don't thing, and it gets really easy to get really ticky-tacky, and then all of a sudden you got people that are tithing spices, but they're mean to other people, and they go, well, I did everything you told me to do. And he's like, no, you totally missed it. Love God, love people. Don't be a jerk. You're being silly, and they miss the point. And so he's saying, now I want to, I want to, he brings in some gray area, and it gets kind of confusing. But in that, we start to wrestle, and we deal with attention, and it allows the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to work within us and to change us from within so that we don't just follow a system of rules, but we begin to follow God more closely. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This righteousness is, you know, this is kind of what we talked about a few weeks ago. Remember Joseph? Do it. Done. Do it. Done. Doesn't, doesn't talk back. Doesn't say anything. God just shows up in a dream. He's like, hey, go do this. Next line. And Joseph went and did that. Three times. You know, just, and Joseph went and did that. He's a righteous man. It was important to him. It was this close adherence to what God wanted him to do. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Do we, are we merciful like God is merciful? Do we forgive the guilty? And do we have compassion for the needy? The prophet Micah talked about being carriers of mercy. Do we carry that? to one another? Do we receive it ourselves? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do we have a single-minded devotion to God? Blessed are the peacemakers. Scripture calls Jesus the Prince of Peace, and we see how he brings peace between God and humanity and, and between humanity and one another. Do we do that? Then we move on to what's the attitude toward the world around us. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus, the perfectly righteous one, suffered more than any other person has suffered. So he starts with saying, are you poor in spirit? Do you love God? It's, it's, it harkens back to all the core of the, all the covenants throughout the Old Testament. The God, is, God is God alone. God is one. And then he sets us up for some expectations. Love God, love people. That's why we put it on our sign back there, right? Love God, love people. He says, be spiritually bankrupt so that you can be blessed by God. That you can understand and, and, and follow him more closely. And then he says, hey look, and just because you did that, it might not go well for you. He's got all these people that are following him. And sometimes it's easy to follow Jesus when all is going well. But Jesus is saying, hey look, um, 
watch my life. This could end poorly for you. Don't expect it to always be rainbows and sunshine and marshmallows. And so the Beatitudes, it's about imitating Jesus. Being poor in spirit, understanding that we're after a different kind of blessing. The blessedness is different. And he sets the tone and begins to ask the question toward ourselves, are you, are you relying on your own ability or on what God has done for you and is looking to do to and through you? And toward our sin, do we, do we mourn it? Are we grieved by our sin? Do we have compassion for those who sin against us? And do we seek to bring freedom in relationship where sin is present? And toward God, are we wholly devoted to him? Do we, like him, carry mercy? Do we create peace? And toward the world, do we understand that it's momentary? As I've said, it's not a... Some people have thought that this is a, a code for moral living, trying to stick with that old system of, well, if I just follow these things, then all of a sudden all will go well. That isn't what Jesus is saying here. But he's showing the characteristics of one who owns the kingdom. And so, Communitas Church, what does it look like for us to own the kingdom of God? What does it look like to take ownership, to enter into our inheritance, to follow the Lord, to repent and be obedient? This time tomorrow, or the next day when we're, when we're back to work, we're hanging with our family, dealing with our, our friends and, and loved ones, what would it look like to embody these characteristics? And what I love about it is that Jesus doesn't give us a list of, hey, this is what it's going to look like. He's like, hey, here's, here's the big picture. Now wrestle with it in your own life. And so for some of us, it's going to be, I mean, we're going to sit down with coffee over folks and say, hey, uh, how am I doing with this? What's, this? what's going on in my life? And for some of us, we're going to have to sit down with other people and go, hey, you're not towing the line. And so what this should spur up within us is a, is a need for you know, a continued reliance, that poor in spirit, reliance on the Holy Spirit, and then also a need for being closer in community, for being known, for inviting others in to speak into our lives, and for setting us up, ourselves up to be in a position to be able to speak into others', others lives. So pray with me, Father. We thank you for the way that you deal with us. We see the way that you've moved and you continue to, to call for greater transformation in the lives of your children. And that it's not just about do this, do that, but be this and own that. Lord, as we gather to scatter, would we go out as ambassadors of your kingdom who seek to imitate you and live like you? 
not for our benefit, but for your glory. As any good master, Jesus uh, taught his disciples these beatitudes and sent them out to do the same. And so as we go out this week to answer that call, to follow the master, may we be poor in spirit, comforted in our mourning, inherit the earth through our weakness, our meekness, satisfied as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, receive mercy as we extend it, see God as we are pure in heart, become children of God as his peacemakers, and own the kingdom of heaven when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Join us for some coffee and snacks. Go in peace.